everyone, welcome to White Coats of the Round Table, a healthcare podcast for career development, non-clinical careers, and burnout prevention. My name's Mike Asbeck, and I'm usually joined by John McDonald, but unfortunately he had to go to work today. You know, that's sometimes what happens in healthcare. So I'm somewhat flying solo, but thankfully, listeners, you won't have to listen to just my voice for an entire 45 minutes. We have a really exciting guest today. And I'm not gonna beat around the bush. I'm gonna just get right into it. So, Caleb, welcome to the show. And normally, John does this incredible introduction where he he talks all about the guest. He adds some bad jokes in. He maybe expands or gives a creative take on the guest's accomplishments. And that's not me. I'm not a, a creative. So what I'm going to do, actually, Caleb, even though it's maybe boring, is I'm going to turn the floor over to you and I'm going to let you introduce yourself to the audience. But thank you for coming on the show and tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, sure. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And uh, yeah, I'll just start really from the beginning. Uh, so I I started off in college as a politics major. I always figured out that I wanted to, to help individuals in, in some capacity. And pretty quickly after about two years, I figured out that uh, I didn't want to argue with people for a living. <laughs> I wanted to, to help them uh, in, in a different way. So uh, I got introduced to a investing class through through our college and really from there it was kind of off to the races on on learning about finance uh personal you know financial uh, tips and tricks to make sure that uh, you're on the right path to success and then from there i uh, I, I was fortunate enough to get a, a job opportunity uh, as a, a financial planning associate uh at, at my first job which was in pittsburgh pennsylvania and worked there for about four years. You know, I transitioned from being more of the uh, associate planner, helping out, you know, with different case studies and and helping out in meetings to then eventually, you know, running my own show. And then what I really found was with uh, a lot of my family members and my wife uh, being a physician assistant, is there's not a whole lot of uh, individuals out there that are helping out nurses and nurse practitioners and PAs. Uh, so that's really where I found my niche and, and really found a, a passion for helping those individuals out uh, with their, their planning needs. So uh, fast forward to today, uh, I, I recently launched a uh, financial planning firm called Advanced Practice Planning LLC. Uh, and really the, the goal of that, that organization is to help out um, advanced practice uh, providers to make sure that they have all the tools that they need to be financially successful. So really excited about the journey and, uh, you know, excited to be here today. Yeah, we're excited to have you. Um, I think you're right. It, it is rather fascinating because there's plenty of resources out there for physicians. And of course, that makes sense. Physicians are, are very high income individuals, so they need a lot of expert guidance. But PAs, NPs, pharmacists, these are all jobs that have, you know, very high earning salaries, but also have additional financial complexity when we're having to try and figure out how fast should I pay back student loans? How, what should my disability policies look like since we all work in jobs that, um, you know, may be a little bit tough if we are, you know, in a cast for three months. So there's a lot of complexity there. And yet you're right. There's really not a lot available that is tailored to our profession specifically. So it's really exciting to see you filling that gap. So before we get into it, though, I've got a very important question for you. So have you 
had Presto George's coffee out of Pittsburgh? Uh, no, I haven't. I'm a big coffee guy, and some of my favorite coffee is this little roastery on the Strip, and they roast all their coffee on site. So when you go in, you just get met with the incredible smell of roasting coffee, and it is amazing. It's some of the best coffee I've ever had. Uh, the owner, he died a couple of years ago, and his sons are now running it, so it may be a little bit of a loss of quality, but it's still one of the best spots. So anytime I'm in Pittsburgh, I buy like 10 pounds of it. But it's a good coffee spot, good uh, good food town as well. So I was, I, I love my time there. And uh, yeah, I guess just a, a quick quick listener note, my, my wife uh, and I always wanted to move to uh, Montana. Um, we'd been out here for our honeymoon and a couple other times and uh, really just fell in love with the area. So, uh, you know, we always figured, you know, if we can make it work from a financial standpoint, we, we would try to go ahead and do it. Uh, and my, my wife got a good job at the, the local hospital there as, as like I said, I was a PA and, uh, that was our, that was our push to just go ahead and do it. So, um, yeah, I love mulled my time in Pittsburgh, but also, you know, excited to, to do all the hiking and skiing and whatnot out here in the, in the Western side of the, the country. Yeah. Very exciting. Although we'll check back in with you around February and see if it's still, still as exciting. Yeah. might have a different tone then. So today we're going to talk about a a good topic with relation to financial literacy. Caleb, I know that when you're talking before you came on and you are a fee-only advisor, is that correct? That's accurate, yep. I struggle to even understand this. I'm assuming that most of our audience has no idea what we're talking about. So let's take today and maybe talk through different types of financial advisors. And I'd like to maybe even morph the conversation into why we need a financial advisor and then we can talk through that. But maybe we'll start by, I'll turn the floor over to you. Yeah, no, th- thanks for the the intro. And uh, yeah, what what I would say just to start, and this is probably not what you're going to hear from most financial advisors, is that not every person needs a financial advisor uh, at, at baseline. I, I mean, I think that there's a lot of value that the financial planning industry can add, but there's instances where, where uh, you know, individuals are doing it on their own. Uh, they like this stuff. They're spending time researching it and, and really kind of getting into the weeds. And there is value. I, I still think advisors can add in that scenario, but not everybody is is wanting to kind of have that relationship and and they can do it on their own. And I think that's that's great and that's fine. Um, you know, I, I think for, for other individuals out there, and maybe this is probably more of the majority of, of people that just kind of want to make sure that they have that peace of mind, knowing that they're doing the right things, uh, or they're saving enough, they're structuring their state student loan payoff the correct way that my analysis with the right amount of money and not trying to buy more that they can afford. So I think that's where a financial advisor comes into play. Uh, but in the, the world of financial advice, uh, it, although it's highly regulated, there's a lot of variability on what exactly a financial advisor is, who can consider themselves a financial advisor, and then uh, the subcategory is like, what types of advisors are actually out there? Uh, so what I can do to start is, is, is I'll break down kind of just at a high level, the different types of advisors that uh, are there and then potentially, you know, walk through how those may fit into your overall financial plan. If that's something that you potentially looking for. So to start off, uh, there's, there's advisors out there that um, are really mainly focused on uh, financial products or, or insurance-based uh, programs. 
Uh, and those advisors are good for, you know, if you're looking to, let's say you need, you know, you need life insurance, but you don't know how to go about figuring out what the dollar amount is that you need. Uh, you know, I think that a, a, an insurance agent or insurance broker is someone that could help you get those uh, types of policies in place. Same goes like if you need, uh, you know, disability insurance or you need to do a review of your property and casualty insurance. I think that insurance agents do a great job and, and candidly, a lot of financial advisors potentially don't even have the expertise to help out in that area. So I think that insurance agents, a lot of times in the financial industry, they either, uh, they get a, a good rap from the agents or they get a, a very bad rap. So I would say the the reality is it's somewhere in between. There's definitely bad actors that are trying to oversell insurance and oversell policies um, to people that don't need it or that can't benefit from them. But then there's also good good actors that are trying to do a, a do right by individuals. So that would be that would be number one. Uh, and again, that I, I'm not an insurance agent myself. I do I have my my insurance license, but I don't uh, sell insurance. Um, but I do kind of have that background of of how to to do to go about that. Um, it, and like I said, for for somebody that's looking for just in a product or insurance based program, that those are individuals that you would want to seek out. And specifically, I would seek out an insurance broker. And what that means is an insurance broker isn't tied to a specific company. Uh, so I don't want to name any specific companies out there, but there are captive insurance agents that basically can only represent the products of their specific firm. Whereas a broker, they have the option of however many con or companies are contracted with, they can write insurance through whoever. So that would help you get the best rates, the best you know, terms and conditions and all that kind of stuff. So that would be group one. Um, group two is kind of really in the middle there. So I would call them like the hybrids or independent uh, advisors. And those kind of have the, those individuals have their foot in the door of the insurance space, and then they have their foot in the door of the investment and sort of the investment or the financial planning uh, industry as well. And, and really, those advisors are kind of great if you're trying to you know fill the gap for insurance needs and need more of the in just investment and only focus, uh, and aren't super uh, worried about kind of all those other financial uh, planning details. Um, so those are, those are great options there. Again, typically they, they will charge either they get a commission off the programs that they recommend, or they're, they're going to charge an assets under management fee on your investments. So let's say you have $200,000, uh, of investments and, and they manage those for you. They would charge probably around 1%. So $2,000 a year to help you out with that. So those are, those are the first two, uh, types of advisors out there. So I'll take a pause there and, and Mike, see if you have any questions or, you know, potentially to help clear it up for the, the, the listeners. And then we'll jump kind of into the seven category here a little bit more. It's a good differentiation because as you said, I, I think sometimes the insurance products get a bad rap and certainly there's some bad actors out there that maybe contribute to that because if you go on TikTok, I, uh, shoot, I don't remember the name of the person I follow, but there's someone on TikTok that basically just takes down shady financial advisors and man, it is gold. I I'm going to try and find it and maybe we'll put it in the show notes, but there are so many people out there that are talking about having an infinite zero interest bank because you can, you know, get a whole life policy and then just forever borrow against it because you don't pay taxes on debt. 
and all these wild things that sound great. And then when you break them down, they're terrifying. Or, you know, people that are saying to invest in real estate and then just cash out every three years and just continuing to to re-leverage against it. And that's terrifying. So I like the differentiation, but I also think it is important to point out that, especially for healthcare professionals, I, I always think about disability in this way, is if you are a PA, let's say, and you work in orthopedic surgery, if you break your wrist, you know, playing soccer or doing something outside of work, if you break your wrist, you're out of work for a while. You can't operate. Your livelihood okay. is dependent on you having dexterity in your hands. If you have nerve damage in your hand because you broke your wrist, that may be the end of your career, at least in the OR. So we do we work in fields in healthcare where having protection against those types of things is, I think, a really important thing because we have very high incomes. We also have very high debt loads. Very often, healthcare professionals are coming out with high six figures of debt, and we need to make sure that we're protected against that. So those insurance products do have a place, but I think you're right. I think the big thing is navigating the good actors from the shady actors, especially in that space. Yeah, for sure. And I, one comment like on the, on the TikToks and uh, all the, the social media out there, a lot of times the, the individuals giving advice, I mean, they're, some of them obviously are trying to do it for content. Some of them might actually trying to be good at be to give good advice. What a lot of times that happens is, is they're actually un, unregulated. You know, they're not, they're not licensed professionals. So uh, I kind of, uh, you know, akin that to, you know, if you're going and asking uh, someone for medical advice and they're not, you know, a, a PA nurse practitioner or a physician, I don't know, you know, from, from your end, if you would trust that advice. So uh, it's really kind of the same, the same relationship on our end. So, uh, you know, I think that it's, it's, it's important to seek out people. One, that if you, if you need financial advice, go to a financial professional. A lot of times friends and family, they might try to be, uh, you, you know, they might be trying to help you out, but a lot of times they, uh, you know, might not know the, the best routes to go. So for example, a lot of times when I hear on student loans is all oh, my parents told me just to pay these back as soon as possible. And then it almost makes you want to, you know, cringe because that actually a lot of times is not the best uh, case uh, option, you know, with student loan forgiveness, both with public student loan forgiveness uh, for being a, a nonprofit employer, but then also traditional uh, loan forgiveness and these other programs, um, you know, can get you to that, that the same similar goal of getting that debt uh, released and not cost you as much money. So I think going to somebody that is a regulated investment uh, or a regulated financial professional is is really kind of the baseline of, of when you're seeking out advice. So uh, one, you want to make sure that they uh, have licenses such as like, if you're looking for somebody that uh, you're trying to get investment only advice from, to look for somebody that has their series seven uh, license and series 66 license. If you're looking for somebody on the insurance side, make sure that they're actually having an insurance license. And then if you're looking for somebody that is more heavily invested uh, and more heavily focused on financial planning, look for a certified financial planner. Look for a chartered financial consultant or if there's specialties inside of that that you need help with. Let's say you need help with a divorce or student loans specifically. I mean, there's, there's certain avenues that you can go down to make sure that your advisor has those specialties in those expertises in those areas. So um, that's just kind of a, a general disclaimer for uh, looking out and seeking financial advice in general. Yeah, you, that 
that struck a chord with me when you're talking about student loans. We were very big Dave Ramsey people. And I'm not here to crap on Dave Ramsey. I know that's the popular thing on TikTok right now because we're we're living in an era where I think everybody is really, really comfortable with debt. It makes sense. We're, we've had historically low interest rates. Housing prices in real estate has generally continued to go up pretty steadily. So it's in, in a an era where debt has not been biting up. But when we graduated, my wife and I were, you know, very big on Dave Ramsey. We aggressively paid off our student loans within two or three years. And I think in hindsight, it was a good thing in the sense that it was incredibly freeing to get rid of that debt and not have that hanging over us. Um, When we bought our house, we were originally trying to pay it off in 15 years. So we were putting down all kinds of extra money. And none of that is bad. It's not that Dave Ramsey gives bad advice, but now looking back when we have interest, you know, inflation that is in the seven or eight percent range, we had mortgages that were sub three percent and student loan interest rates that were also very low. Looking back now, it's like, ah, oh, I see. Yeah, I probably would have come out ahead if I was not as aggressive on that because the interest rates were pretty darn close to historical rates of inflation. So once yeah. bad. But, you know, looking back, I do wonder and kind of scratch my head because I think we could have managed it better. And in part, that was because we were doing it on our own. We were, you know, listening to Dave Ramsey's radio show and we felt like we were, you know, pretty uh, in in tune with where we should be with things. And I think we did okay. Uh, You know, paying off debt and being averse to debt is not a bad position to take. But when we got with a financial advisor, we started looking at it. One of the first things that he told us is slow down on the house payments because that's a really great interest rate. And it Mm -hmm. allowed us to kind of refocus and take that money and invest it elsewhere. And I think that's the key is, you know, don't take that money and go spend it on stupid consumer stuff. But yeah, I think having that advice is so important. So let's talk about fee only because you've kind of teed up the other ones. You've talked about the different types I'm assuming you're leaving fee-only advisors as the the last one to talk about. So give me an overview of that. Yeah, no, and great point on the other stuff too. I don't I don't want to gloss over that, but I, I think I think the especially financial advisors they try to a lot of times they try to uh, outdo each other. And I think Dave Ramsey does a lot of great things. Uh, and there's also some things that advisors potentially disagree with. That you know that payoff is probably one of them, but. What's important is that advice changes over time. So just because you got advice or he may have mentioned something from uh, you know a show five years ago, doesn't mean that it's ac- accurate today. Um, that changes over time, especially kind of with student loan space, it's always changing and uh, you know whatnot. So uh, I think that just when you're finding a financial professional, it's maybe even more so than what type of advisor they are. You wanna make sure that they're one, qualified, and then two, are they actually, you know, when you talk to them, can, do they understand the things that you're talking about or are they kind of just kind of brushing it off and getting to their own, um, you know, their own pitch, so to speak. So when, when you look at fee only financial advisors, and again, I'm not trying to say one advisor is better than another here, but when you look at a fee only advisor, they try their best to take out all the conflicts of interest. Uh, and, and really, so fee-only advisor is not going to sell commission-based products. They're not going to sell insurance. Um, but the way that they're compensated is either through an assets under management fee, uh, through you know the investments they potentially manage for you. So if they made, manage two hundred thousand uh, of your investments and they charge you a one percent management fee, it's two grand a year. 
they also have a little bit more flexibility than potentially some other uh, advisors as well, because they can charge. Uh, it's not the other advisors can't, they just frankly don't. Um, they charge either consulting fees or like an ongoing subscription fee. And I think for a lot of uh, medical professionals specifically, you might have great incomes, uh, but you're you're not uh, at the point yet where you have hundreds of thousands of dollars that need in, uh, investment management. And a lot of advisors, they just simply don't know how to charge for that advice. So they might look at someone that has fifty thousand dollars in an investment account and say, "Man, I don't, I can't really help you," which is like, you know, it makes me crazy because there's so many different ways that you can help individuals. The advisors just simply don't know how to get compensated for it. So where an a fee-only advisor comes into play is that let's say you just need a consult on, uh, you know, figuring out what is the best place to save my dollars. You know, is it 401ks? Is it Roths? Is it brokerage accounts? Is it a combination? How do I go about doing that? You can set up a consultation to just get advice on those specific topics. If you're looking for something, if that's one piece of it, then you're looking for advice of how do I start my own business? How do I set up what types of structures, LLCs, S-Corps, uh, all these different plans? How do I get help with that? How do I minimize my taxes along the way? What can I deduct? Uh, you know, all these different areas. And that might be somewhere where you need an ongoing relationship because as your plan progresses, then you can, you know, it either enhance different areas or, you know, take advantage of different, uh, you know, items that are available. So, I think that really what it comes down to is what uh, your need is. If your need is just kind of, I need a consult on a specific topic, uh, an advice-only advisor is going to be a great option for that. Um, or if you need financial advice, um, but you don't have you know a million dollars to manage, a subscription-based program probably makes a lot of sense or an annual retainer where you just kind of have the advisor there for when you need them uh, for the advice that you need. So uh, I want to make sure that listeners at the end of this podcast understand that you don't need you don't need to have a million dollars you don't need to have a hundred thousand dollars in an investment account to work with an advisor you can have zero dollars of investments and still work with an advisor yeah and i i think that's right so much of what in my financial situation we pay i think it's you know standard one percent assets under management and I know there's a lot of research out there. There's a lot of books that will tell you that that 1%, that the management fees are just eating away at your profits or eating away at your interest and that you would do just as well to to just put it in an account on a, you know, an ETF for the S&P 500. But to me, the value comes from exactly what you're talking about is the financial planning side of it, of the, them saying, well, what are your goals? How do you want to get there? Okay, yeah, do this, don't do that. You know, don't pay extra on the no. Or, you know, here, invest in this. Uh, don't, you know, put extra into retirement if you're already saving the 10 or 15% because you're already going to be adequately prepared for retirement. So have that money be more flexible. Those are all things that I think, you know, we may figure out on our own. Certainly, there's some people that really like to do a deep dive and you'll probably turn out okay. But at the same time, having that professional can really be valuable to help guide you in the right direction. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, I think a lot of times what it comes down to is, especially for, at the end of the day, charging an asset-based fee is is still fairly popular. And the reason being is that whenever you're paying for a consultation or a monthly planning subscription, a lot of times that's coming out of your 
you know, monthly, uh, you know, paycheck. And it's just something that's right in front of you all the time. Uh, and a lot of times clients want to have that advice, but don't want to have that reminder of that bill that comes through every month. So if they do have investments that, uh, you know, they need help with to the extent that the advisor can help, typically that is the option that clients do prefer. Now, what I will say on that is a lot of times advisors, they, they can do what's called like reverse churning on your account. So churning on your account was kind of an old phrase of when advisors used to get paid off of commissions for selling investments out of your, in your account. So they would churn your account and the more investments they sold, the, the better they did, not necessarily the better you did. Well, there's a new kind of phenomenon now where there's reverse churning inside of accounts. And it's really comes from, uh, advisors more or less kind of charging that 1% management fee and almost just charging rent on your money. Uh, and if that's something that, you know, you're not really getting a whole lot of advice for the investments, a lot of times investments aren't going to change that much over time if you're picking good ones. But the, the key is, is if you meet with your advisor, let's say you meet with your advisor once a year and they walk through, you know, an update on the market for 30 minutes, uh, and they don't talk about any of the things that you need help with one, you're probably paying them too much money. And two, you're probably not paired up with the right advisors for your specific circumstance. So I'll, there's a lot of clients out there who have worked with a lot of them that just want to talk with and about investments and that's fine. Um, but a lot of times medical professionals, they've got so much other things going on that you want to make sure that if you are paying an assets under management fee, you're getting advice on some of these other topics as well, included in that fee. Absolutely. So with that, talk to me about fiduciary responsibilities, because I, I have confusion and I like to think that I'm maybe a little bit more interested in it and plugged into this stuff, but can you walk through who and who doesn't have a fiduciary responsibility, or maybe even back it up, what is in the financial world a fiduciary responsibility? Yeah, it, it's truly, it's kind of a, a, a foggy concept just in general. Um, what So back it up, what a fiduciary means is that you are obligated to put your client's interests above your own. Uh, and that is great in theory, but no matter what, there's always conflicts there, there's always going to be some sort of conflict of interest, uh, for an advisor that's going to get paid, uh, you know, to help you with your financial planning. It's just, you need to understand what that conflict is, right? So let's say you're selling an insurance product. That's pretty easy, right? You might buy an insurance product and the, the person on the other end gets a big commission. That's the conflict of interest. The, the, uh, advisor that helps you on the assets under management. Uh, they might not be doing a whole lot of investment changes inside of the account, um, but they're incentivized to keep renewing that fee every year because obviously they get paid for retaining you as a client, whereas that might not be the best situation for you. Uh, the same goes for a, a, a financial planner that's charging a, an advice only, um, kind of that consultative approach. You know, if you're on a monthly subscription, you might not need to, you know, that, that might not be the best option for you. You need to understand that the advisor is getting paid each at each and every month, but it might not necessarily you know fit your scenario. So again, there's there's always going to be conflicts when when uh, fee for services is involved, really in kind of any industry, but especially when you're dealing with finances, it's important to note that. But what I will say on the it, it fiduciary uh, responsibility, um, I, so I'm a certified financial planner, and anytime that I 
uh, worked with a client, I've taken the fiduciary oath with, uh, you know, being on the, uh, you know, fee only side, also the certified financial planner. Part of my credential is that I'm obligated to always put my clients in the best, uh, you know, I, I, their interest ahead of my own. Uh, sometimes you'll see like insurance agents don't necessarily always have that, uh, same requirement. Um, they might still act in the fiduciary uh, responsibility, but, um, they might not technically have it. So a long time ago, oh, I was, you know, first starting my career journey, someone told me, don't ever see a financial advisor if they're not a fiduciary. That's the first question you should ask them is, are you a fiduciary? It's almost like the, you know, ask someone if they're a cop because, you know, a cop can't say no. Yeah. <laughs> is that valid? Is that something that we should use as some sort of delineator as we're vetting out who we should use for financial advisement? Or is that kind of a, a trope that doesn't really... Yeah, that's a great question. I don't know of an advisor that's going to give you, if they're not of a F fiduciary, if they're going to give you a straight answer, it might be so confusing that it might sound like they're one at the end of the day anyways. So I would say that more or less that question, I mean, it's important to note, but I don't know if you're going to get a true and honest answer at the end of the day. Um, you know, so it, it, it's something that certainly you can ask. And then, you know, if, if you, if they are like a CFP, for example, you're going to know that they've taken the fiduciary oath, um, to make sure that they are, you know, in fact, a fiduciary. So, I mean, I think that almost it's more important to kind of look at some of their credentials before that, that might answer your question rather than just kind of asking them point blank. I guess my final question with this topic is we're trying to kind of introduce the idea of just different types of financial advisors is if someone is listening to this and they're nodding along, they're saying, okay, yeah, I'm in this position. You know, I, I'm making good income. I've got a complicated financial situation, whether that's student debt, uh, marriage, divorce, whatever it may be. And they maybe recognize that they need someone, but they don't know who they need or they don't know how to find them. What is the first step for someone that wants to bring in a professional but doesn't necessarily know what type of advisor they need. We talked about insurance. You know, obviously, if you need disability, then you're going to go see someone who sells insurance products. But moving beyond that, how do you differentiate that? Is it just purely, you know, if you don't have tons of assets, then you're going to see a fee-only advisor. And if you have lots of assets, you'll go see someone who charges a management fee. Or is there a different approach for someone that is just starting out and trying to figure out step one? Yeah, great question. I, I think a lot of times what happens is is people don't know where to turn, so they just ask family and friends, and they say, "Hey, I, I need this." Actually, just happened recently with one of my um, one of my wife's friends that she's like, "Hey, I don't know where to turn to," um, you know. And then there was a million recommendations on where she should look, and I think you know that can be good and bad. Um, you know, I, I think for the most part, advisors out there are trying to help out clients. I mean, they're trying to do the thing that's the best for you. They might not have the expertise to help you in your specific scenario. So, especially with like medical prof professionals, I mean, there's a whole different, you know, subset of, of, uh, com you know, complex areas that you guys need help with, um, that frankly, a lot of advisors just don't have the expertise in. Um, so if you ask an advisor, do they, for example, do, do you work with physicians? Everybody's going to say, yeah, we work with physicians. Why wouldn't we? They make, you know, four or 500 grand a year. Right. But in reality, they might not know a thing about working with physicians. So, uh, and the same goes with PAs and nurse practitioners. So I think now 
what what has happened with advice is previously a lot of times advisors you know clients have said i don't know where to look so they ask their parents hey who do you work with and then that's how they find their advisor that might be a good option but i think even more important now especially with these different organizations that are hopping up is you want to get somebody that understands your situation and has a niche into the questions that you have so let's say for example i, I know that this is a podcast for uh finance or for um you know medical professionals you want to make sure that you're seeking out somebody that has specific uh a niche in that area if your uh your your husband or wife uh is a uh, works in tech and needs help with stock options you want to make sure that you're getting some advice around that as well so again it is more more so you know probably profession specific uh or goal specific rather than you know just kind of getting the first person that is recommended to you anything else that you want to add before we wrap up for today anything more about how to look at different types of advisors how to find an advisor i think we've done a pretty good job here yeah i i think that there's a great there's a couple great resources for individuals that are just looking for advisors in general so uh, again, I, obviously I, I, I can, I can help out, uh, individuals in that capacity. I don't want to toot my own horn, uh, so to speak, but at the end of the day, I mean, I only have so much capacity to help individuals. So there's, there's plenty of, there's plenty of room for others in the in industry. Frank is a great example. Uh, but I think to start off, you know, you can do a quick Google search, um, XY planning network is a great resource where you can search individuals by location by, uh, you know, who they help out. If you have a specific planning issue that you need help out with, let's say you need help with charitable giving or, uh, you need help with divorce. You know, they have subsets of categories that can help out there. The financial planning association is another good resource where they have a find an advisor source. Um, NAPFA is another one where they are linked to fee only financial advisors that um, you can kind of dial in depending on your needs. So again, there's, there's lots of different resources out there that I would almost go that route before, um, potentially asking family and friends, unless you know specifically that that advisor is going to be good for you. And the, the last point I'll make on that is that, you know, as a, as somebody that's vetting out advisors, I would get more than one advisor's opinion on, uh, you know, planning circumstances. So if you're looking to get an advisor, maybe interview two or three different advisors and see, uh, one, if they actually know what they're talking about, um, instead of kind of just faking it until they get you as a client, and then two, you might not mesh with the advisor. I mean, some, you know, personally, personalities don't always fit together. And at the end of the day, if you're paying somebody to help out with your financial advice, uh, you know, they're going to be probably somebody that you're contacting on a pretty frequent basis. So. You want to make sure that you actually like that person. So uh, those those are probably two uh, really important things to look at as in an advisor. Excellent. So I'd like to transition and finish up with some personal items. At the end of these shows, Caleb, we like to do a personal item just to make sure that we're retaining our humanity as healthcare can often be all-consuming. So do you want to go first or otherwise I can pull something out of the hat and let you... Oh, that's a good question. How about you go first and then I'll wrap it up. All right. Sounds good. So we are getting into transition season here. So we're in the fall in Buffalo and right now the weather is still great, but every year I have huge problems because I am a very active person. I love to work out. I love to run. I love to hike. And for those of you that may not have noticed and you're now in the same boat up in Montana, 
it gets a little cold here in the winter. So my fitness journey is generally one where I'm in pretty good shape in the summer and then I get pretty flabby in the winter. And the older I get, the more I recognize that fitness is important, but also I notice such a huge difference in like mental clarity and energy. It really is an important piece of self-care for me. So this year I'm trying to figure out what the heck to do to make sure that I have an opportunity to stay fit. Gyms just don't work for me. I am not the type of person that's going to get up and go to the gym and then have to like, you know, shower in the gym before going to work or vice versa. I just hate that. It's too much of a hassle. So last year I just tried to run anytime it was not freezing and it worked okay. I'd maybe get like one run in every two weeks and that was fine. But this year I'm thinking about maybe just doing a three month membership at a climbing gym because I like to do outdoorsy stuff. So I'm thinking maybe just a family membership for December, January, February. And then once or twice a week, I'll just grab one of my kids and go rock climbing. Incredible workout. I love rock climbing. I'm not very good at it because I'm 6'2 and 200 pounds, but it's an incredible full body workout. You do half an hour climbing and you just feel completely wrecked and worked. So that's, uh, I, I'm deliberating on whether it's worth the cost because climbing gyms aren't exactly cheap, but I'm, I'm trying to desperately find a way to stay active through the winter. Yeah, no, that, that, that's awesome. It, it, yeah. On the, on the, the workout side, I think it's super important just to change that up over time. I mean, it's easy to get kind of in cycles and, and honestly, you kind of get burnt out of doing specific workouts. So yeah, I mean, that, that's awesome. Trying different things. I mean, I've been trying to, now that we've been out here in Montana, it's uh, splitting out my cardio into just doing like a hike, uh, you know, in the evenings or whatever. I mean, one, you get out in nature and get the disconnect a little bit. And then two, you know, you kind of obviously get a good workout. So, um, couple of things that, uh, that I've been doing just kind of on the personal side of things outside of financial planning. I know it might come to a shock, but I don't do this 24 seven. Um, <laughs> but so one of the things that I, I, I love to do is, uh, I love, you know, learning and, and, uh, I'm not a big reader, but what I am is a uh, big listener. So uh, I've found a really good podcast that uh, is short and sweet. And sometimes I listen to it uh, on the way home from the gym or from making dinner or whatever, but it's called History Daily. And what it is, is it's it's just a, it's a podcast that's like 15 to 20 minutes long and just talks about whatever happened in history on that day. Uh, and so it's, it's great. Uh, helps me out with jeopardy as well. Whenever I play with my, my wife, um, but, but it's, it's great, like little facts that you learn, uh, and it kind of takes your mind off of whatever else is going on, uh, outside of, of, of just what, uh, you know, your everyday life. So that's, that's one. And then two, I know I said I wasn't a big reader, but I am trying to read a little bit more. And I think that I'm probably reading more so as a technique for falling asleep rather than uh, reading for maybe for uh, retention. But I, I found a lot of times where like my mind is racing at night, just especially with, um, you know, being a business owner, there's always things to think about. And I try to shut off my technology, you know, at least 30 minutes before I go to bed and just not looking at, uh, you know, a bright screen and just focusing on, uh, you know, a book one kind of takes your mind mindset out of, you know, everything else that's going on. And then just, I feel like it's just good on, uh, good on your eyes, not to be looking at a screen all day. So I've found that that's actually really helped out a lot. Um, you know, as far as, you know, if you're an individual that can't fall asleep, maybe try reading a book at night. It might not be the most exciting thing in the world, but might help you before you know it, you might, uh, you know, wake up the next morning and say, man, that was a good night's sleep. 
because Apple now has more and more health related features that are coming out. And one of the ones that just came on my last update is my bedtime is set in 45 minutes before my bedtime. It gives me an alert to start winding down, to start reducing electronics. The phone goes into uh, do not disturb mode. So I've similarly been trying to limit electronics, trying to limit screen time at night, and it has made a difference. So it's definitely something that uh, can go a long way with just very slight changes in our in our day-to-day. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. We're White Coats of the Round Table. If you like what you hear, consider subscribing, even leave us a review. If you don't like what you hear, definitely don't review us. Until next week, thank you, everyone, and thank you, Caleb.